This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And we're leading up to Mother's Day by talking about pregnancy. What better way to to introduce Mother's Day, you guys, than to talk about having babies? Yeah. Except we're not quite talking about having babies. We're more talking about the uh, loaded terrible stuff that can come along with being pregnant and then having the baby in terms of People just judging your body all the time. Loaded terrible stuff. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. <laughs> Hooray. Invite us over to your Mother's Day brunch. We'll liven the place up. Just give us some mimosas. We'll be cheerful. Well, in this episode, though, we're focusing in on the phenomenon of the baby bump. N- calling it a phenomenon, not because baby bumps are new, but the terminology baby bump is new in our celebrified lexicon. And leading up to this podcast, Caroline, I mentioned to some people that we were going to be talking about baby bumps and faces immediately went blank. <laughs> My fiance had no idea what a, a baby bump was. <laughs> he was like, what? A baby bump? He thought maybe it was some kind of childcare accessory. It's like a speed bump that you put outside your house after you've had a baby. <laughs> yeah, slow down. Here's a bit. Ba- That's a good idea. Thank you. A baby bump. A sminty branded baby bump. <laughs> yes. Um, but until we start building our, <laughs> our, our baby bump empire, this baby bump is the one that celebrities get when they are a little bit pregnant. And there's even a bump watch leading up to a full on baby bump. There's a bump watch. Celebrities I- are put on bump watch. Yeah. Gossip bloggers put on their urban camo. And they go out with uh, binoculars to stare at celebrities' midsections. Yeah. Was it a burrito or was it a baby? But, Caroline, w- one thing that I discovered in this podcast research mm-hmm. about baby bumps that has nothing to do with celebrities is how we now celebrate the baby bump, sometimes by painting the baby bump. <laughs> This is a thing. This is a thing. I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah, you can go to an art fair, and while your kid, your other kid, gets his or her face painted, you and your future child can get your baby bump painted. Yes, just Google painted baby bumps, and I can't guarantee that you won't regret it, but it's... (laughs) <laughs> fascinating because one of the one of the Google image results was a woman, I'm assuming, who has twins who had two little 
little developing fetuses painted on her in great detail. One said little gentleman, which that was my favorite, hands down. I mean, I just kind of want to get little gentleman painted on, on my <laughs> my burrito bump sometime. Your food, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, at the risk of, of offending a few people, uh, I remember going into this coffee shop in Augusta that featured a whole bunch of plaster casts of baby bumps. And the thing is, like, they the casts themselves are not weird. But I'm telling you, when you're standing in a coffee shop looking up at the ceiling and there's a whole bunch of plaster casts of things that are painted and you're like, I'm not sure what the, oh, that's boobs in a pregnant belly. I get it. It's jarring. And I, I have a feeling that as also to women who have never been pregnant, speaking about this, one of the additional factors that might have surprised us so much about these baby bumps being on display so much is that, I mean, when you think about maternity clothing, for so long, it's all been about camouflage. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back even only a few decades, and pregnant women were really not supposed to leave the house all that much. It was considered improper because mm-hmm. pregnancy requires a lot of times, if you're not using in vitro or things like that, there is usually some kind of sexual intercourse involved. And simply by virtue of that, you keep the just wait until the baby is out. Well, even in the well, I was going to say even in the past 20 years, but then I just remembered that I'm 31. So even in the past 30 or so years, things have changed, because especially if you compare, for instance, Princess Diana with Kate Middleton and you look at their maternity wear and Kate Middleton features very prominently in all of this baby bump versus post-pregnancy weight discussion. Um, you know, Diana was wearing all of these very, very voluminous, blousey uh, maternity clothes, whereas Kate is, you know, she's all like in her cute little show it off clothes, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, it seems far more common to show it off. And it's something that we see in tabloids as well as mm-hmm. just women's magazines in general. There is this be proud of your baby bump thing happening, but there is also this undercurrent of, we're watching your body. Yeah, and especially if you're a celebrity. And if you go all the way back to 1991, there is a particular magazine cover that is seared, seared, I tell you, into my memory. Like, I was surprised to realize that this magazine cover is from 1991 because I remember it so clearly. It was Demi Moore, of course, on the cover of Vanity Fair. And since then... She she's far from alone in this. Since then, she's been joined by a ton of naked cover moms, including most recently Carrie Walsh Jennings on the cover of ESPN magazine in July 2013. But she was followed back in the 90s by Cindy Crawford, who did her own kind of similar. I think she's even facing in the same direction. Similar nude cover for W magazine. Yeah. And in case people haven't seen this Vanity Fair cover, it was shot by Annie Leibovitz and it's. Demi Moore, naked, in profile, holding her breasts and her belly. And she's wearing a little bit of jewelry. And people at the time were scandalized by this because some said that it was hypersexualizing a pregnant woman. Because, ooh, there we have, yeah, that, that conflict between that, that Madonna whore dichotomy. 
Yeah, it is interesting reading about all of his pregnancy stuff and body image stuff, how the narrative is very much like you're a sex object, you're a sex object, you're a sex object. Oh, wait, you're pregnant? Okay, you're not for like a minute. And then, okay, now that you've had the baby, like go back to being a sex object. Why haven't you lost the weight yet? Exactly. And it is like when you were sending me all of those images of this to me more cover that has essentially been recreated over and over and mm-hmm. over again to where now when we see a pregnant celebrity in some, you know, level of undress posing on the cover of a magazine, it's old news. It's like, okay, yeah, we, we, yeah, okay, we've seen that before. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, your belly is, has, is, is bumping. All right. <laughs> cool. Good for you, I guess. Well, no, I did have a weird reaction though to Christina Aguilera's Marie Claire cover from 2008 because she's naked. Except for a leather jacket. And it just made me think of, like, Donald Duck. Like, why isn't Donald Duck wearing pants? He's wearing a shirt. It's kind of weird. Like, I don't know, Christina. Either, like, be do a nude cover or don't. Well, listen, Caroline. Uh, if, when, that's me on the cover <laughs> of Podcast Monthly, I'm going to be naked uh, except for shoulder pads. <laughs> just, just shoulder pads. And headphones. Don't forget the headphones. But of course, conversations about a woman's pregnant body isn't new. This isn't something that celebrity tabloids invented. We are at a new point in this conversation, it seems like, in terms of visibility. But this discussion about pregnancy has certainly evolved with and without the help of tabloids. Yeah, Jane Reynolds in March 2013 wrote about this over at Mike.com and she said that acknowledging pregnancy meant and has meant in the past acknowledging female sexuality. So expecting women were expected to hide their growing stomachs. And it was really to the point where women in the workplace uh, had to hide their pregnant bellies for fear of being fired if they were visibly pregnant. Because keep in mind, we did not get the Pregnancy Discrimination Act until 1978. But we will get into kind of the modern state of affairs about pregnant women in just a minute. But by talking about the bump itself, that pregnant belly that women for so long have felt the need to hide, Devorah Myers over at Slate says, hey, well, this just means that we're focused on the here and now, i.e. the woman's body. And not just what's to come, the baby. She says, quote, it refers entirely to the landscape of the woman's body and preserves the idea that she is a single autonomous person who can still say, go out late if she wants to. To that I say, does it really? Like, I guess that it kind of indicates that the woman is autonomous, but it also is just like talking about her body parts separately from her. Well, and to that point, Myers quotes Ziv Eisenberg, who wrote a doctoral dissertation at Yale on the history of pregnancy in America, who talks about how the term bump indicates, quote, more legitimacy and more permission to speak about it than other euphemisms that were in practice and circulation 50 years ago. And now inevitably we have to mention I Love Lucy and how uh, Lucille Ball's pregnancy on television really got the ball rolling in terms of these changing attitudes towards being pregnant in public. Because in 1952, during the filming of the second season of I Love Lucy, which was massively popular, she gets pregnant with little Ricky. And the network doesn't know what to do about it. Because, again, this is the era when pregnant women are really expected to stay out of the public eye. 
And so they certainly couldn't say pregnant outright on the air because that was also deemed too crass. And so they decide that, okay, we'll just say that she's expecting. And so they work the pregnancy into this season. And in fact, the episode where she has little Ricky was one of like the highest rated TV shows at that point in television history. So yeah. people were like, oh, wait, okay, so we aren't terrified by this. Yeah. Hmm. We aren't terrified of what the female body can do. And now we have the Duggars. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we've got Teen Mom on MTV. Or do we still? Is that still a thing? We had it. Teen Moms are totally still there. Whether whether they're they the life after Teen Mom, yeah, be- they're, they're still moms. Well, they became celebrities because of that. We've given the Duggars a TV show that's totally, literally, completely centered around reproduction, having babies, and then you know we obsess over celebrities' bodies and their baby bumps as if we have any stake in what happens. To the point, though, with the the Duggars and the celebrity baby bump. So our celebrity culture has celebrified the Duggars, one of whom, not the mom, one of the daughters who just had her first baby. So it's uh, this the cycle begins anew. And we, we're talking about celebrities and tabloid culture more than we usually do on this podcast because th- this very idea came to mind just from seeing so many Us Weekly covers of the Bump Watch. You cannot look in any tabloid today or on any kind of TMZ-related celebrity blog mm-hmm. and not see something about some celebrity pregnancy. Well, yeah, because it's all the thing is with the tablets, it's all couched in some level of judgment about some level of some person's life. I mean, if if a woman's wearing a blousey shirt, is she pregnant? Well, if she's pregnant, who's the father? And like, is she married? You know, is this an affair? There's all sorts of weird judgments that go on about people that we don't even know. Yeah. I mean, w- when it came to uh, Mila Kunis getting pregnant via Ashton Kutcher, that is such a sterile way to put it. I know. It's I mean, it it set off all of those kinds of conversations. And then also going back, bringing it full circle for our conversation already to Demi Moore. Right. What does she think? Yeah. Mila Kunis is pregnant now. So it's I mean, it's just more fodder for the tabloids. And for that reason, not surprisingly, credit for the term bump watch goes to tabloid editor Bonnie Fuller, who apparently coined the term in 2002 while working at Us Weekly. Some say it's older, but we'll we'll give the credit to to Bonnie. Yeah, Devorah Myers at Slate describes describes Fuller as pursuing photographs of pregnant celebrities in action with a missionary zeal. And you just why? Why why because we buy the magazines. That's why. We look. We look. I look at those those pictures. Yeah. Yeah, because if you just Google showing off baby bump, you end up getting pages upon pages upon endless Google pages of really just non-news items with headlines that say, you know, literally fill in the blank, shows off her baby bump. Um But the thing is, like, while some of them do feature posed pictures, so maybe she's in a magazine, you know, maybe she is, like, actually posing for the camera. Or if you're Hilaria Baldwin, Alec Baldwin's wife, you are, quote, looking ready to pop in nothing but lingerie. Others are literally, literally just paparazzi pictures of women walking outside. Yeah, this was the funniest thing to note in looking at all of these 
different sources all at one time, the phrase showing off, showing off, showing off comes up over and over again when clearly these are just women getting groceries, walking the dog, going about their business who happen to be pregnant. But that just like exiting your house while pregnant is showing off, apparently, at least in tabloid speak. Yeah, exactly. And one that really jumped out to me was an Us Weekly story about Haley Duff. Bless her heart. So there's this giant headline from April, early April, that proclaimed in size like 38 font, Haley Duff shows off growing baby bump, comma, goes without makeup. And so here are my quibbles. Number one, showing off, she was literally just, like we said, walking outside. Uh, quibble number two, you really have to point out in a headline, which are supposed to be like the newsiest, grabbiest lines to sum up an article. Side note, we are both <laughs> journalism school graduates. So it comes out from time to time. It does. And so pointing out that she doesn't have makeup in the headline uh, almost gave me a fit. And then number three, if you actually take the brain numbing time to read the quote unquote article, it helpfully points out that she quote, kept her blonde locks up in a messy ponytail. How much like sort of like backhanded complimenting of like, oh, look at this wonderful pregnant woman fending for herself out in the water. Wild of Los Angeles. And that messy ponytail. Oh, good for her. Like she just swept her old hair up in a dustbin and threw it on her head. (laughs) What a mess. Also, Caroline, this is making me really want to do uh, some sort of uh, episode where we just read tabloids but interpret it it, (laughs) as such in reality. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the way the way that tabloids talk about women in general is horrifying. But the way they talk about pregnant women specifically is uh, life and soul crushing. But the thing is, Caroline, this is happening all over the place in tabloids because it sells. I mean, clearly, if these magazines weren't getting eyeballs and making money off of it, they wouldn't be doing it so much. The bump watch would not be a thing. So the question that we must address next is what's up with our obsession? We can blame the Bonnie Fullers and the Us Weeklies of the world all we want, but if we are also consuming this content, then what is up with us? And we're going to talk all about that when we come right back from a quick break. Got to tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated, with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight 
a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash MOMSTUFF. That's BetterHelp.com slash MOMSTUFF. Talk to a therapist online and get help. And now, back to the show. Well, so I was really interested reading all of these sources. And by sources, I mean Us Weekly articles. I was really wondering... Are we obsessed with these celebrities and their bumps because they're putting it out there for us to see? Because so many of them are posing naked on magazine covers? Are we just witnessing rich and famous women trying to reclaim a sense of self or sexuality during their pregnancy? Or are these celebrities just following a larger cultural movement? Are they looking at Pinterest, too, at all of the style your bump pages on Pinterest and following that larger example I want to know. And so what is up with why we're so obsessed, Kristen? So Lenore Skenazy, writing over at the New York Sun in 2008, suspects that there's a little bit of schadenfreude at work because everybody feels compelled to comment on what has now become sort of an accessory, a celebrity accessory. You have your Birkin bag and you have your baby bump at Mm -hmm. some point. But she also thinks that it, quote, stems from the simple fun of seeing stars fat. Yeah. I mean, I would buy it. I had a friend in high school who, for like, I guess like daily inspiration, kept a picture in her locker of Gwyneth Paltrow not looking svelte. And this somehow inspired her. So I get it. I get like the schadenfreude of of saying, oh, that celebrity's fat. But why would you ever call a pregnant woman fat is... Uh, it's a little, it's also soul crushing. It is. Well, and also soul crushing is this cycle of obsession with the body parts of people that we don't actually know that you helpfully like, drew out with lots of arrows for me. Can you please walk us through <laughs> this cycle? Yeah, well, basically the way that Skenazi explains it is, so we as consumers are immersed in celebrity gossip culture. We can't escape it. You know, you see these images of these beautiful couples making babies. How do they make babies? Ooh, by just being beautiful. By bumping their iPhones. That's right. They exchange data and... And, uh, and the baby comes out uh, nine months later. Right, exactly. They they fax it to you. Um, do people fax? I don't know. Uh, so we start to look at them as like the cool kids in high school. You know, we we know them, but they're still separated from us. They're distant from us. The tabloids know we have this interest. They need money and they need stories to cover. And lo and behold, you have a pregnancy, which is like nine months worth of stories. Because, okay, so you've, you've got the beginning of the doing it, like we mentioned earlier. Are they married? Are they having an affair? Did he leave her for a younger woman? Are they too young, too old, whatever? You've got the pregnancy itself. So you've got endless stories about pregnancy, fashion, health scares, beauty secrets. How much oil is she rubbing on her belly? Is she going to wear a bathing suit? How much weight is 
she gaining? We've got the actual birth itself. So, you know, everybody's clamoring to pay celebrities for those first pictures. Then you've got the awful discussion about post-baby weight. You've got all the body policing, which, of course, will be our next episode. And then you've got endless years of watching these children grow up. And we end up being caught in this crazy person cycle of obsession with, like Kristen said, just strangers' body parts. Which makes complete sense. An evolutionary psychologist would tell you that humans are innately interested in the goings-on of higher-status individuals. And in this day and age, celebrities are that. And even if you go back to the era when royalty really meant something, when that was how power flowed, they had their own bump watches, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to find out whether it would be a boy or a girl. They simply didn't have... You know, Twitter and TMZ to really fan the flames. So it's not surprising that we would be so invested in the development of babies that we will never make, whose diapers we will never change. Thank God. It's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, Skenazi points out also that in our quote, everyday regular schlub life, pregnancies are getting ever more attention. Our famous fetus focus is just part of this whole child-centric world that we're getting caught up in. She points to things like uh, what to expect when you're expecting the book and the whole sort of cult that grew up around the book. And now the film. Yeah, and, and now the film, uh, which was filmed here in Atlanta. I haven't seen it, though. Didn't want to. Um, and then the follow-up book, Your Pregnancy Week by Week. Things like this are just sort of entering the culture and encouraging us to be helicopter parents before the baby even gets here. So we're obsessed with our own babies and our own bodies. Not that you shouldn't be interested in your own baby and your own body. But it sort of just all kind of bleeds out together to where we're now obsessed with other people's babies. And are you are you treating that baby right in your stomach? We have taken absolutely a cue, I think, from celebrity culture in terms of ritualizing the start to finish of pregnancy to childbirth in our own day-to-day lives. We talked about this in our podcast on gender reveal parties, the very practice of making the baby bump cast, having your, uh, your belly painted. All of the moment-by-moment information and sonograms and yes, even placenta pictures that are sometimes posted on people's Facebook feeds. So it's it isn't just celebrity tabloids. It's really fascinating, though, that with these tools that we've been given to broadcast our lives as much as we want, we have elected to take it this far. And someone say there's nothing there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm celebrating my pregnancy Mm -hmm. and my forthcoming baby let me do what I want. And sure, that's totally fine. But I think it does speak to something larger, perhaps, especially when it comes to how we talk about those bumps, like what you said of of breaking down these body parts, talking Mm -hmm. about women in terms of a part rather than the whole. Right. And I mean, I think there's a difference between you as a pregnant woman wanting to Claim whatever it is, your your motherhood or your sexuality or your sense of self, whatever it is, and doing things like maybe making a cast of your bump or painting it or just posting pictures on the Internet, whatever, um, versus 
the way that others, particularly strangers, will look at you and talk about you. And this is another thing that Skenazi points out, that we're basically treating women, particularly celebrities, but also just women on the street, like prize livestock. She says, we're reducing them to their most basic biological beings. And there is certainly something reprehensible and schadenfreude about headlines like, you know, a celebrity being desperate to get pregnant. But, I mean, focusing specifically on that whole animalistic thing, I, I thought this 2007 study in media psychology was really interesting. They talked about <laughs> how we view pregnant women and uh, asked people about their views on pregnancy. And they found out that we tend to view pregnant women negatively because pregnancy, quote, highlights the creaturely aspects of humanity and that we do not like to face facts that we're basically animals filled with fluids, fluid filled animals, fluid filled animals. And when the researchers primed participants to think of the similarities between humans and animals, participants were likelier to judge. We're not making this up a pregnant Gwyneth Paltrow to be less competent, which this I, this study came out pre goop. <laughs> so speaking of fluids, oh, so uh, but but that but that makes it all the more all the more fascinating. It does make it all the more fascinating. It, it, but it also kind of explains like the squick factor that a lot of people have with pregnancy. So I mean, it's one thing to also judge women uh, for how their body looks, but also people who are grossed out by pregnancy. I think this animalistic thing sort of ties into that as well. And due to all of that. Jane Reynolds over at Mike.com does wonder whether our attitudes toward pregnancy and also female sexuality in tandem, whether they haven't changed as much as we like to think that they have. Because clearly there is some fetishization going on. We're fetishizing pregnant women and their bodies at a time when counterintuitively reproductive rights are very much under Attack. Well, actually, maybe it's not so counterintuitive because we're worshiping these pregnant bodies and taking away uh, reproductive rights. So maybe that does actually go together. Yeah, I mean, you follow that up with uh, what Jane Reynolds describes as pregnancy being considered a state of transcendent femininity. And it makes sense. The whole bump watch culture is just part of this expectation that women will and should be mothers. She even cites a 2009 Pew study that found that 38% of survey respondents think that the trend of fewer couples having children is bad for society. And that's up from 29% just two years earlier. And yet, pregnancy discrimination in the workplace is still very much alive and well. For instance, a 2007 study found retail store employees were more hostile to pregnant job applicants. Uh, the second part of that experiment found pregnant women were especially likely to encounter hostility when applying for what were deemed masculine jobs as opposed to feminine jobs. In other words, pregnant ladies were fine as long as we they fit the box we think that they should be in. It's much harder to transgress those kinds of gendered boundaries when you are so clearly biologically female. Um, and, and this reminds me too of career advice that some young women are given when they are fresh out of college that if they are engaged, leave that ring at home if you go on a job interview because someone sees an engagement ring or a wedding band and will immediately start thinking, hmm, 
when is this person going to get pregnant and then have to leave work? I will hire someone else. Yeah, well then, but then that gets you into a whole thing of like, okay, well, she doesn't have a ring. She's a dangerous single person. So then, but I won't go off on a. Or she, she's a single person, so she can just work over all of the holidays. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Double binds, people. Double binds. Again, invite us to your Mother's Day brunches. <laughs> we're fun. We're fresh. Got lots of ideas. Oh, uh, yeah. We're full of something. Including a speed bump called a baby bump. Right. Um... <laughs> Right, but you know, we mentioned the Pregnancy Discrimination Act from 1978, and I teased that we would get back to it. That did not end discrimination against pregnant people by any means. Apparently, according to a study, pregnancy discrimination complaints filed with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission rose by 39% from 1992 to 2003. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised at all Yeah, by that. But what about pregnant women themselves? How is all of this baby bump culture influencing them and their process of being pregnant and how they feel about it? Well, again, Caroline and I cannot tell you firsthand because (laughs) we have never experienced that. But thankfully, uh, Meredith Nash, who is a sociologist, wrote the book. Making Postmodern Mothers, Pregnant Embodiment, Baby Bumps, and Body Image. And in the process, she talked to a bunch of pregnant women for her book and found, based on interviews with them, that the baby bump stage was relieving. Yeah, because they were able to transition finally from just feeling like, oh, I just look chubby, to, oh, no, but now I have a a very easy-to-see and uh, decipher excuse for being bigger. Look, I have a baby bump. I'm pregnant. I'm not just chubby. Yeah, because in reverse, I mean, think about the the ultimate faux pas of asking a woman if she is pregnant, and the answer is no. Yeah, there's yeah, exactly. And and Nash reports that the presence of the baby bump quote was psychologically uncomfortable, but also familiar to women who were used to monitoring their bellies anyway, and that women reported feeling anxious whenever there was the possibility that their pregnant bodies might be mistaken for being fat instead of pregnant. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Devorah Myers, sort of along those same lines, does point out, going back to our discussion on celebrity tabloids, that in a lot of those magazines, they talk about part of the bump watch is determining, is she pregnant or is she just fat? They call it like, was it burrito or baby is one of the magazine's uh, photo spreads that they frequently do. But moving on, moving on from just fat fears and concerns about body image, we've also got to talk about ideas about femininity and sexuality. When Nash discusses maternity clothes and, quote, managing the pregnant body, she highlights that the pregnant and very visibly pregnant body can be a spectacle. And she says that it's wedged between two uncomfortable norms of femininity as simultaneously desexualized and an object of desire. And she says that women who are visibly pregnant should be in any way desexualized is very strange, as surely pregnancy is is a quite visible expression of sexuality. Well, that's been a really fascinating thing to see as well in terms of the evolution of maternity clothes Mm -hmm. and the fact that we now have maternity clothes that are not just like the Princess Diana moo-moos and tents, which, honestly, I (laughs) love the idea of lounging in a pregnancy moo-moo. 
and how a lot of these styles are more are more fitted where mm-hmm. you see there there also the the tabloid spreads of the pregnant woman the pregnant celebrity who's in a bikini on the beach at the Oscars Benedict Cumberbatch's pregnant wife was wearing a dress that had a high slit up the side and it was called daring for a pregnant woman to be showing that skin because to me that it, that's <laughs> that definitely highlights this conflict we have about well, can a pregnant woman still be sexual? And especially by the choice of clothes she wears, it does seem radical for a pregnant woman to wear, say, a skin-tight or leg-revealing or cleavage-revealing garment. Yeah, because it, it goes back to our discomfort with pregnancy and how people how people might have gotten pregnant. I don't know. How do you get pregnant? Oh, I don't want to think about it. Well, and also maternity. The idea of like a mom is can a mom be sexy? Is that is that strange for us to even think about? Yeah, we're trying to put you in a category. Why won't you go in a single category? And that's another thing that Nash points out that pregnant women are encouraged to maintain bodies that are thin, proudly displayed, and in control. And that's a concept that we've talked about on the podcast before in terms of overweight people being judged to be out of control. And it seems kind of strange to me that we would put pregnant women in that category, too, of like, oh, she's out of control. And it's like, well, no, but society says she has to get pregnant. She should have a baby. She should become a mother. But now we're saying that she's got to be simultaneously like thin and well-groomed, but also like big and pregnant. Yeah. I mean, and I can tell you both anecdotally and also empirically that pregnant women absolutely feel a lot of appearance related pressure because it is so much of a tightrope. Mm-hmm. And this was something confirmed um, by a study presented in 2003 at the Women's Studies International Forum in a paper that concluded that pregnant women adopt a, quote, pragmatic approach of both selective resistance to asexualization and selective compliance with the pressure to be slim. Oh, that sounds so tiring. And being pregnant is already so tiring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But, you know, I mean, you see it. You see it everywhere. People like Drew Barrymore and Kim Kardashian faced so much public shaming and abuse for gaining weight. Oh, my God. Gaining weight during pregnancy. Imagine that. This reminds me, though, speaking of uh, stuff mom never told you, something my mom did tell me was when she uh, was first pregnant with my oldest sibling, when the doctor told her that she should gain some extra weight because she was always very slim slender. (sighs) And she was delighted by that news. She was like, my entire life, I had to be thin. I had to stay thin. And here was a doctor telling me, prescribing me to gain weight. And she loved it. She was like, I went a little overboard, to be honest. (laughs) But it was so fun. Well, I mean, that is that I think that is so interesting. And that illustrates a critical point in talking about women's bodies that you no matter sort of at what point you are, whether you're pregnant or not, that you do feel like you've got to still fit into these these images somehow, but also that you might need permission to kind of eat what you want or let your body do what it's going to do naturally. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I think we need to hear from some some humans who have been pregnant. Yeah. I'm really curious to know what 
what it is like, what that kind of body monitoring is like. And if you do feel like celebrity tabloid culture has intensified it at all. And also for people like Caroline and me who have been more observers than participants in this whole thing, what do you think? What do you think about this whole bump watch culture that we live in? MomStuffAtHowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And you can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever, especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart and everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages and it was really convenient to have disposable products and we we just had a, a lovely conversation um it was really fun yeah and i'm with the disposable products i know that the china brand provides durable and trusted products which i have used before that let you enjoy every moment of the get togethers and traditional or now not And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Shinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. Well, I've got a letter here from Zoe about our episodes on science fiction and social justice. She says, I've been on the Internet since I was around 10 years old. And yes, I had a live journal. And yes, I have a Tumblr and Twitter now. I've never been directly called a social justice warrior to my face, but I wouldn't be surprised if I was, as I have always been interested in various social justice issues. I've also had friends that have been called derisively social justice warriors and had friends who've called people that. I've also had friends that started out the latter and became the former. I used to think the term was very specific to a type of hyper-aggressive activist ally with misguided views similar to the definition you gave. But part of my problem with the term is I soon discovered that not everybody defines it the same way. 
Some people define it solely as people who only fight for social justice in fandom, like a, quote, meat space activist friend of mine who works with serious legal issues. And others use it toward anybody interested in social justice at all, especially if they're younger than 30, and still more seem to use it as anybody who's doing social justice differently than I am. It can be difficult to navigate the online sphere. I think part of the problem is that everything, especially stuff like Tumblr and Twitter, is public. If you make a mistake with a few friends, you apologize, no biggie. But when you have a public platform, you can never know who you might be hurting with your words or where they are or how bad their day was. As well, it's sometimes hard to know when you're being too aggressive because some people will perceive any sort of correction or comment about this sort of thing as being too aggressive. I feel this is especially true if you're a woman or queer person like I am or part of other marginalized groups. Sometimes you're being too aggressive and need to chill. Other times, though, people perceive being assertive as being hyper-aggressive. I think it's important to try to be polite when sending messages, but also make sure you're not making that mistake when you're getting one. Assertiveness versus aggressiveness sounds like it could be an episode on your podcast. I firmly believe stuff like death threats, harassment, and ignoring boundaries, like using sock puppets to get around someone's block, is not okay, and that's important to remember. On a lighter note, I liked your science fiction episode a lot. I've heard about a lot of the fiction discussed in it, but I've been meaning to read some of the books you mentioned and will try to do so. I'm a bit passionate about comics in general, and there seems to be a resurgence of comics of all genres, including sci-fi. I'm a huge fan of web comics and indie comics. One of my favorite is Oh Human Star, which explores the nature of people and their relationships in a robotic future. I'm also really excited about a couple of upcoming anthologies, such as New World, which is being headed by Spike Trotman, who I believe was mentioned in your episode about comics. I'm also really excited for and backed beyond an anthology of sci-fi and fantasy with a queer theme. Love the podcast. Thank you so much for it. And thank you, Zoe. Well, I've got a letter here from Robin also about our science fiction episode. And Robin writes, I wanted to mention how much science fiction changed my life. My dad is the biggest science fiction fan I know. He also has six daughters. Raising us on science fiction has inadvertently made all of us feminists and shaped our own lives and relationships for the better. We would spend hours watching Star Trek together, and when I was eight, Jake Lloyd was my first crush. I remember him handing me Ender's Game when I was just nine years old, and ever since then have had such a passion for this genre. It's helped me examine the world critically and inevitably has led to some very interesting conversations throughout my life on gender especially. I don't think my dad expected any of this, but I'm happy nonetheless that he did bestow this onto us as children as it has shaped our lives so much. P.S. My favorite book is The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin, which you mentioned. I also love Speaker for the Dead by Orson Scott Card, even though he's a staunch Mormon who uses his profit to fund anti-gay marriage legislation. That's all. Thanks so much for your podcast. I was very excited for this topic. So thank you, Robin, and also Robin's dad for being a rad dad. We love rad dads. <laughs> and if you want to email us, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one, so you can also take a look at that 1991 Vanity Fair new Demi Moore cover, head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. If you 
crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.